This September, world leaders from the 193 member states of the United Nations are meeting for the annual General Assembly in New York. Every single country gets to present for around 20 minutes, so it's always very interesting for journalists like me who cover international politics to hear what they have to say. To be honest, many of the speeches are pretty much you know, indistinguishable, they're very boring. But there are always a few amazing speeches, you know, fiery speeches that really stick out. I have a separate episode focusing on the speech given by the new left-wing president of Honduras, Samara Castro. But today I'm going to be looking at one of the most incredible UN speeches I've seen in a long time, which was by Colombia's new president, Gustavo Petro. He is the first left-wing president in Colombian history. Now, in Colombia, it's extremely dangerous to be a leftist. Colombia is the closest U.S. ally in Latin America and has a long history of murdering leftists, disappearing leftists, uh, with government close links to drug cartels and death squads. In his speech, Gustavo Petro delivered incredible poetic remarks. It, it wasn't just like a speech. It was very much like poetry. For people who are interested... I have a transcript of most of his speech over at multipolarista.com. I will have the link to that in the description below. And in this speech, Petro declared that the war on drugs has failed. After decades of Colombia being at the heart of the U.S.-led so-called war on drugs, he said that it's failed. He said it led to millions of deaths and millions of people incarcerated, mass incarceration, especially black Americans, pointing out it, it fueled racist mass incarceration in the U.S. He also talked about how capitalism is destroying the environment. And he said the real problem is not drug addiction. He said drug addiction is a social symptom of the, the destruction of society by capitalism. And he said the real addiction is the addiction to money and oil that is destroying the environment. He called for debt relief for the global south. He began the speech emphasizing how the Amazon rainforest is being destroyed and how the Amazon rainforest helps to fight climate change by creating oxygen, by absorbing carbon dioxide. And he said that the, the drug war is not only killing millions of people, but it's destroying the environment and it's destroying the Amazon. And he kept emphasizing, this is a quote, the cause of the climate disaster is capital. The logic of dedicating ourselves to consume more and more, to produce more and more, so that a small few can earn more and more money. He said the logic of increasing accumulation of capital is destroying the environment. And the increasing accumulation of capital is the increasing accumulation of death. And then he openly criticized the global north. And he said to the global north, quote, you all insist that the market will save us from what the market itself has created. Humanity's Frankenstein is allowing the market and greed to act without any planning, giving up our brains and reason, making human rationality kneel before greed. Very powerful speech. And what I'm going to do here in this episode is I'm going to go through some of the main parts of his speech. But before that, I just want to provide a little context. I mentioned that Petro is the first ever left-wing president of Colombia. 
Colombia has multiple between, you know, I've seen sub estimates of seven or nine U.S. military bases. It's the closest U.S. ally in the region. It basically was a U.S. client regime, proxy regime until very recently. It has historically been, been dominated by very far right forces, including these oligarchs who were closely linked to drug cartels and death squads like Alvaro Uribe. Who his whose family supported uh, these death squads, and he was closely linked to the Medellin cartel. And the most recent president before Petro, Ivan Duque, a close U.S. ally who was handpicked by Alvaro Uribe to be his successor, he only won the election in scare, scare quotes in 2018 by stealing the the election by buying votes with drug money, using a a millionaire drug dealer named Nene Hernandez. So, uh, you know, there's so much corruption. The Colombian government, uh, the attorney general's office recently admitted that the Colombian state killed six, at least 6,400 civilians and then falsely claimed that they were socialist guerrillas, armed socialist revolutionaries. It quite literally massacred thousands of innocent civilians and then sometimes dressed them up in like the uniform of the socialist guerrilla groups or put on, you know, put like a, a gun on their body or something. Now, Gustavo Petro comes from a revolutionary socialist militia called the M19 movement, the 19th of April movement, which it was a socialist, revolutionary, anti-imperialist uh, armed group. And they put down their guns and then became a legal political party after signing a peace agreement with the Colombian government. And then the Colombian government murdered their leader, just a few months after he signed the peace agreement with the Colombian government, he was assassinated. And Gustavo Petro comes from that group, M19. He put down his guns in this armed group and became a, a politician and he worked his way up. He became a senator. He was the mayor of Bogota, which is the capital city of Colombia. And then he won this historic election in June 2022 for the first time a left-wing president has ever won an election. Now, at first, I was a little skeptical of Petro. I'm, I'll be totally honest about that. I was very critical because he had run a kind of center-left campaign, um, throwing a lot of red meat to the oligarchy, criticizing Venezuela and Nicaragua, you know, it's reassuring the U.S. he's not going to privatize any property. He's not going to go after the capitalist oligarchs that dominate the country. But since coming into office in August, just in a few weeks, he has really exceeded a lot of people's expectations. He immediately normalized relations with Venezuela. And he now, uh, you know, he's reopening the border with Venezuela after it was closed for years. He recognizes Nicolas Maduro as the real elected president of Venezuela. The former Colombian right-wing leader, Ivan Duque, backed by the U.S., had recognized this Washington-appointed coup puppet, Juan Guaido, as fake president of Venezuela. In fact, Colombia now under Petro, it actually just gave back to Venezuela a state-owned Venezuelan company that was stolen by the, the far-right Duque regime. So uh, he's been very interesting. Even when it comes to Nicaragua and the Sandinista government, we see the U.S. constantly tries to demonize and destabilize the Sandinista government. Petro refused to give in at the Organization of American States, the U.S.-dominated OAS. Colombia abstained and refused to demonize Nicaragua. He's currently working with Cuba to, to have ne the negotiations of a peace process 
to sign a peace treaty with the ELN, which is an armed socialist group. So he's he's been pursuing a, a very interesting, very left-wing, uh, ambitious program. And we can see this so clearly reflected in the speech that Petro gave at the United Nations. I mean, it was so powerful. Now, what's very interesting about this UN address is that the majority of world leaders that speak at the UN General Assembly, they're often presidents or prime ministers or they're foreign ministers. Usually they have speeches that are carefully prepared by speechwriters, right? Every single word has been fact-checked and focused grouped and they're, they're working very carefully to make sure they don't rock any boats. The thing about this speech given by Petro is it was clearly largely written by him. He wrote most of it. And we actually know this because a Spanish newspaper called El País, which is a very mainstream establishment newspaper, El País published a newspaper article describing how Petro wrote the speech. And it explains that he kept it secret from most of the people around him. Petro just wrote it. He wrote most of the speech himself in collaboration with a, a small handful of very close aides that he trusted. And after writing the speech and updating it on the plane on the way to the U.S. to the U.N., he, he wrote, quote, or he, he told his he told his aide, he said, keep it safe so no one can read it. So he was very careful and he guarded this speech. And what's funny is this establishment, you know, center, center right newspaper, El País, in, in a kind of criticism of Petro, it, it said the speech um, represented all of his ideological corpus, anti-capitalism, environmentalism, even the anti-Americanism in which many leftists of his generation were raised. Of course, this mainstream establishment newspaper in Spain is criticizing him for being anti-capitalist, environmentalist, and criticizing the U.S. But his speech was, it was very powerful. And I need to stress that the speech also, it was poetic. Many of the speeches given at the United Nations are, like I said, they're just boring and they're all indistinguishable and they just use a bunch of buzzwords and they're focus grouped and, and all the life is taken out of them. This speech was extremely beautiful and poetic and powerful. So what I'm going to do here in the rest of this episode is I'm going to read parts of his speech and provide a little commentary. The reason I'm not going to play the original audio from the United Nations is because this, this video is also a podcast and people can't read subtitles in the Spanish version. And also the English language translation by the United Nations is not very good, frankly. Now, I'm not saying that like I'm the greatest translator ever. I'm not criticizing the UN translators who are very professional, but usually they're either doing it immediately, like they're doing um, simultaneous translation, which is extremely difficult. So I, I give them credit or they have a very small amount of time to prepare the translation. And Petro wrote his speech at the last minute. So, I mean, the, the translation was pretty bad. There are some blatant errors, blatant errors in the UN translation into English. For instance, the translator translates when Petro is talking about oil and coal. Coal in, in Spanish is carbón. But the translator said that he was saying carbon, which is carbono. So there are multiple errors. And also just his speech was so powerful and delivered so poetically that I want to provide a little more, you know, oomph, a little more emphasis in his words. Whereas the speech, the, the translation that was given was so boring and it was, the translation was just lifeless. So 
what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through some of the main parts of the speech, provide a little commentary, and just read. This is from a translation that I myself did because I wanted it to be as accurate as possible. And you can find this at multipolarista.com. I have a link to it in the description below. So without further ado, here's, here's the speech. And this is, I'm cutting out the, the first few parts where he's just talking about the beauty of Colombia. And he says, you know, Colombia is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And he said, the Amazon rainforest are the lungs of the world, providing oxygen and absorbing carbon dioxide and helping to fight climate change. And then he warned that that jungle, which is the Amazon rainforest, he also calls it as the, the, the jungle, that it's being destroyed. So here I'm going to start reading his speech. The jungle that tried to save us is at the same time being destroyed. To destroy the coca plant, they spray poisons, glyphosate en masse that runs through the waters. They arrest and imprison those who grow it. Now, of course, a brief word, people probably know that cocaine comes from the coca plant, although the coca plant itself is not the cocaine drug. Cocaine is a very refined version of it. The coca plant has a lot of other uses, including medicinal uses for tea and other purposes. So anyway, Petro continues. For destroying or possessing the coca leaf, one million Latin Americans are killed and they imprison two million African Americans in North America. So he's criticizing racist mass incarceration in the U.S. He continues. Destroy the plant that kills, they shout from the north. Destroy it. But it is just one plant among the millions more species that perish when they unleash the fire on the jungle. Destroy the jungle, the Amazon, has become the slogan followed by states and businessmen. It doesn't matter that scientists are crying out, baptizing the jungle as one of the great climatic pillars. And a point that he makes throughout the speech is that the global north claims to be, you know, the protectors of science, but they've actually been ignoring climate science and destroying the environment. He continues, For the power relations of the world, the jungle and its inhabitants are to blame for the plague that ravages them. The power relations are ravaged by the addiction to money, to keep on, to oil, to cocaine, and to the hardest drugs to be able to anesthetize themselves more. There is nothing more hypocritical than the discourse about saving the jungle. So he's saying that the global north claims they're going to save the jungle, but they're extremely hypocritical. The jungle is burning, gentlemen, while you wage war and play with it. The jungle, the climatic pillar of the world, disappears with all its life. The great sponge that absorbs the planetary CO2 evaporates. The jungle, our savior, is seen in my country as the enemy to defeat, as the weeds to be extinguished. The space of coca and of the peasants who cultivate it, because they have nothing else to cultivate, are demonized. For you all, my country is of no interest except to spray poisons into its jungles, to throw its men into jail, and push its women into exclusion. You all are not interested in the education of, education of the child, but rather in killing his jungle 
and extracting the coal and oil from its entrails. Now, a quick note about this. When he's talking about coal and, coal and oil, he's acknowledging the fact that Colombia is a major exporter of oil. According to the Colombian government's own statistics from the Ministry of Energy, petroleum-based products make up around one-third of the value of its total exports. And Colombia is also the fifth largest exporter of coal in the world. So he's saying that, you know, that this reliance on fossil fuels, which is going to the global north, is destroying the planet. And they claim that they want to save the, the rainforest. So let's continue here. The sponge that absorbs the poisons is useless. They prefer to spray more poisons into the atmosphere. We are only useful to you all. And when he says you all, he's referring to the global north, the imperial core. We are only useful to you all to make up for the emptiness and loneliness of your own society, which leads you to live in bubbles of drugs. So here he's acknowledging that the, the drug addiction problem is not a problem that Colombia was created. It's a problem of the deeply atomized individualistic capitalist society in the global north. He says, we hide your problems that you refuse to reform. It is better to declare war on the jungle, on its plants, on its peoples. While you let the jungles burn, while hypocrites destroy the plants with prison to cover up the disasters in their own society, you ask us for more and more coal, more and more oil to calm the other addiction, the addiction of consumption, of power, of money. What is more harmful to human beings, cocaine, coal, or oil? So just a quick note here, very powerful. You need to keep in mind when he's saying in the speech, he keeps saying ustedes, ustedes, which means you all, the second, second person plural. He's talking about the global north. He's speaking to the US, to Europe, to the rich imperialist countries at the United Nations. Now he doesn't say that their name explicitly, but we all know who he's directing, who he's, his speech is directed to. And note that he says, this is very important, He's saying that the U.S. are hypocrites who are waging this, this war on drugs and destroying the Amazon, and yet the U.S. continues to ask for more and more coal, more and more oil. He's pointing out that it's not Colombia that is consuming these drugs. Yes, Colombia produces over 70% of the world's cocaine, according to the United Nations, but that co cocaine is not consumed in Colombia for the most part. It's exported to wealthy imperialist countries, especially the U.S. and Europe, and it's consumed in the imperial core, just as Colombia exports its oil and coal, and much of that goes to the imperial core. And then he says, once again, what is more harmful to human beings, cocaine or coal and oil? So this is where he starts getting into his condemnation of the war on drugs but he's still not there yet. He's talking about the hypocrisy. The judgment of power has declared that cocaine is a poison that must be destroyed, even though it causes few deaths by overdose and more because of the mixtures which lead to it being trafficked. So he's saying that cocaine doesn't really lead to many overdose deaths. And usually when it is It is what it does cause death is because it's mixed with other drugs because of the dangers of, of the drug trade and being trafficked. 
But he points out, on the other hand, coal and oil must be protected, even though their use can lead to the extinction of all humanity. This is the way world power works, with injustice, with irrationality, because world power has become irrational. And he keeps saying world power in here, and it's pretty clear he's referring to imperialism. That's where the heart of world power is, imperialism. They see in the exuberance of the jungle, in its vitality, a sign of lust and sinfulness, the guilty cause of the sadness in their societies, imbued with the limitless drive to have, to have and to consume. Again, a very powerful poetic speech. This is not just a speech, this is poetry. It's a 20-minute poem, a political poem. And here he talks about the loneliness in capitalist societies. They hide the loneliness in people's hearts, the drought in societies without affection, that are so competitive they imprison souls in loneliness by putting the blame on the plant, the people who cultivate it, the secret freedoms of the jungle. According to the irrational power of the world, it is not the fault of the market that cuts off existence. It is the fault of the jungle and those who live in it. Bank accounts have been filled without limits. The most powerful people on earth have stashed so much money they couldn't even spend it in centuries. So now he's directly calling out the billionaire capitalist oligarchs, the elite, you know, capitalist elites who profit from the destruction of the environment and the war on drugs. The sadness of existence that is produced by that artificial call for competition, it is filled with noise and drugs. So here he's also talking about how capitalism has this anti-humanist drive toward competition that destroys human beings. And he's saying that, that the artificial call for competition leads to a sadness of existence and that that void is filled with drugs. And then he says, the addiction to money and to possession, it has another face. Drug addiction in people who lose the competition, the artificial race that they have transformed humanity into. So here he's saying that the artificial race of capitalism, the rat race, the endless competition that turns us all into competitors fighting doggy dog against each other, that leads to losers, people who lose the competition. I, I shouldn't say losers, it sounds very mean. People who don't win the capitalist rat race. And these are people who struggle. And because they struggle, they fall into drug addiction. And, and later on in the speech, he, he acknowledges the drug epidemic in the U.S., the opioid addiction, where these poor, there are poor communities in the U.S. where thousands of people are dying because there are no opportunities in their lives and they become addicted to these horrible drugs. So he's talking about a disease of loneliness that is cap created by capitalism. Petro continues in his speech, the disease of loneliness is not cured by spraying the jungle with glyphosate. It is not the jungle that is guilty. What is guilty is their society taught to endlessly consume in the stupid confusion between consumption and happiness. 
which is what allows the pockets of the powerful to be filled with money. So here he's saying that the capitalism and its drive toward endless consumption has a stupid confusion. It teaches us to confuse consumption with happiness. And he says they're not the same. And this is what allows rich people to make money. And he says, the cause of drug addiction is not the jungle. It is the irrationality of their world power. And he says their world power. He's talking about ustedes, which means the imperialist rich countries in the global north. Their world power. Now, in the next part of his speech, he directly says the war on drugs has failed. And not only that, he says that it's led to millions of deaths and millions of people condemned to prison, and especially racist mass incarceration in the U.S. It's very clear. He says, he says, America del Norte, in, in Norte Americanos. He's talking about North America, that is the U.S., by the way. And the U.S. people often say America. In Latin America, when people say America, they mean all of the Americas, North, Central, and South America. So they say North America to refer to the U.S. So in this speech, he calls out the U.S., for its hypocrisy and for mass incarceration. Let me, let me read this again, this very powerful speech by Colombian President Gustavo Petro. The war on drugs has lasted for 40 years. If we do not correct our course, and it goes on for another 40 years, the United States will see 2.8 million young people die of overdoses on fentanyl, which is not produced in our Latin America. Very important point here. He's, he's pointing out that in the United States, there's this epidemic of people dying from opioid addiction and especially fentanyl. And he's pointing out that fentanyl does not come from Latin America. He's saying that, that the U.S. blames Colombia and Latin America for the drug problem, but the, Latin America is not producing fentanyl. And like he said, cocaine doesn't lead to many overdose deaths. He continues, if the, he says, if the drug war continues, quote, it will see millions of African-Americans incarcerated in its private prisons. And he's clearly calling out the United States here. He's condemning the for-profit for private prison industry. He says, the African-American prisoner will become the business of prison corporations. So a direct criticism of racism, mass incarceration, and private prisons in the United States. I mean, when I, I need to stress a point here. When you see the majority of speeches at the United Nations, they're very boring, they're very diplomatic, they're very cautious, they're very careful. They often won't even say the name of another country. They'll say there are certain countries, there are certain nations at the United Nations, certain nations here today that do not they do, not, they do not respect the UN Charter, right? They'll say that the, the, the order of unilateralism is threatening the multilateralism that we need for peace. They'll say things like that very indirectly. Petro is just straight calling out the US for racism, mass incarceration, private prisons. I mean, th when you compare this to the majority of speeches given at the UN, it's like night and day. And it's not just Petro, by the way, it's other leftist leaders, in, particularly in Latin America. Even China's speech, which I'm going to be doing a separate episode about, it was very good, but it was very moderate. It was very measured. It was very diplomatic. China and its diplomats are always very careful and very cautious.
They don't, they rarely mention the United States by name. They say a few countries here today have not been abiding by the UN charter and are threatening our multilateral institutions with this, with this um, zero sum game mentality and cold war mentality. And we should resist the cold war mentality and support a spirit of win-win cooperation and, and oppose the unilateralism that is threatening peace on our planet. They'll say things like that. <laughs> Petro is like, no, racist mass incarceration. And also, as I did in my episode on the, Hond the new left-wing president of Honduras, Samara Castro, once again, a very powerful, fiery speech against capitalism and imperialism. I'll be doing a separate episode about this speech given by the new Venezuelan foreign minister, Carlos Faria. Very powerful speech. And he was reading a letter from Venezuelan president Nicolas Maduro. Very powerful uh, you know, Nicaragua's, Cuba's, I'll be, I'll be focusing on those in separate episodes. Latin America is the exception. As I said in my episode about uh, Samara Castro's speech, Latin America is at the vanguard of the international struggle against imperialism and capitalism. And we see this with speeches like this given by Petro. So anyway, let me continue here. This very powerful poetic speech. So he's saying that if the war on drugs does not end, millions of black people in the U.S. will be thrown into private prisons. And then he says, another million Latin Americans will be killed. They will fill our waters and our green fields with blood. They will see the dream of democracy die, both in my America, and when he says my America, he means Latin America, and in an Anglo-Saxon Anglo America. So he's saying that the war on drugs is killing the dream of democracy. And then he continues, to hide the truth, you will see the jungle and democracies die. And here he says it fully, the war on drugs has failed. He says, la guerra contra las drogas ha fracasado, ha fracasado, has failed. He says it as clearly as day, the war on drugs has failed. And then he says, the struggle against the climate crisis has failed. The deadly consumption of soft drugs has increased. It has moved to harder drugs. It has caused a genocide on my continent and in my country. It has condemned millions of people to prison. So here he's saying explicitly, the United States in its war on drugs is guilty of genocide in Latin America and in Colombia genocide he says it and then he says it, it has condemned millions of people to prison destroying millions of lives the war on drugs has failed and then he says that the latin america is being scapegoated in this war on drugs he says to cover up their social causes they and when he says they once again he's saying ustedes which means the global north they have blamed the jungle and its plants their narratives and policies have been filled with irrationality. I call on you all here from my wounded Latin America to end the irrational war on drugs. Here, it's a clear message to the U.S. And I'm calling on the U.S. and the war on drugs. You have wounded Latin America. You are guilty of genocide. And then he continues. Wars and guns are not needed to decrease drug consumption. What is needed 
is that we all build a better society, a society with more solidarity, with more affection, where the intensity of life saves people from addiction and new forms of slavery, new forms of slavery. He's referring to the new Jim Crow, mass incarceration of black people in the US as a new form of slavery. Again, this is so powerful. And this is a Colombian leader. I had, I had been skeptical at first of Petro, but he has really exceeded my expectations in so many ways. He's, a, he's saying that the U.S. is guilty of genocide and a new form of slavery. That is incredible. Right in New York City at the United Nations. And he's also saying that, look, Drug addiction is not caused by Latin American production of drugs. Drug addiction is caused by society, by loneliness. It is a social problem. It is a public health problem. And the solution is a healthier society with more solidarity and with more affection and with more meaning. Do you want fewer drugs? Think of fewer profits and more love. He's saying if you want... Few, less drug addiction, then provide more support for your people. Think less of the profit of corporations and capitalists and think more of love for your people. Think of the rational use of power. He's saying that to the U.S., your use of power is irrational. Use it rationally. And then he says, do not touch the beauty of my homeland with your poisons. Help us without hypocrisy, to save the Amazon rainforest, to save the life of humanity on the planet. And he, here he accuses the U.S. of hypocrisy. He's saying, if you want to help save the environment, help us, but without hypocrisy. Now he starts getting into the threat of climate change again. And he talks about how the global north is ignoring climate science. He says, you brought together the scientists and they spoke with reason, with mathematics and climatological models. Note how he, he, he contrasts the irrationality of the global north and the U.S. and their government policy with the rationality of science. He's saying the scientists speak with reason. Listen to your scientists. He said that the scientists, they said that the end of the human species was approaching that the time left to us is not millennia, not even centuries. Science sounded the alarm and we stopped listening. War served as an excuse to not take the necessary measures. And now he starts criticizing the global north's addiction to war, imperialism's addiction to war, and how war is also threatening the existence of life on the planet by preventing action to stop climate change. He says, when action was needed most, when speeches were no longer useful, when it was indispensable to invest money to save humanity, when we had to move away as soon as possible from coal and oil, they started one war after another after another. Here, he's, oh, this is, uh, I need to fix this in my translation. They invaded Ukraine, but also Iraq and Libya and Syria. 
They invaded in the name of oil and gas. So yes, he calls out the war in Ukraine. And later on in his speech, he calls for a war. Uh, sorry, he calls for a peaceful solution, a peaceful settlement to the proxy war in Ukraine. Although he never mentions Russia. He doesn't say that Russia is guilty. He's saying, he says he calls for peace, but Colombia has made it clear that it's neutral. It's not siding with the, the U.S. new Cold War in Russia. He recognizes that the war in Ukraine is a proxy war between NATO and Russia. And he calls for peace, but he doesn't say that Russia is guilty. And what he also does is he calls out directly the U.S. invasions and wars on Iraq, Libya, and Syria. Now, anyone watching or listening to this speech cannot be in any way confused about what he's saying there. It's a, it's a reference directly to the United States. He's saying they invaded Ukraine, but also Iraq and Libya and Syria. He's saying you all talk about Ukraine, but you invaded Iraq, United States. NATO destroyed Libya. The West has been waging a proxy war for a decade on Syria. And the U.S. is currently militarily occupying Syria and Iraq still. And Libya has no central government. Now, when he said that, I was blown away. Acknowledging not only the war in Iraq, but also Libya and Syria is almost never done. Sometimes people will point out the U.S. invasion of Iraq because it was so blatant. It was so overtly criminal. The U.N. Secretary General Kofi Annan said that it was illegal and violated the U.N. Charter. But also the wars in Libya and Syria have been swept under the rug. So, like I said, Gustavo Petro has blown past my expectations. He's been quite impressive. And then he continues in his speech. In the 21st century, they discovered the worst of their addictions. The addiction to money and oil. Wars have served them an excuse to not act against climate change. Wars have shown them how dependent they are on that which will put an end to the human species. Once again, so powerful, so poetic. He's saying, you ignored your scientists. They have been saying for decades that you're destroying the planet with the use of fossil fuels. But instead of getting off fossil fuels, you have been waging more and more war. You are destroying the human species. You're using war as an excuse to not fight against climate change. Here, he compares the U.S. and the global north to Nazism. Like I said, this speech, I mean, I mentioned earlier that the Spanish newspaper El País, which is a complete mainstream establishment, center-right newspaper, they, they, uh, they were actually pretty, pretty critical of Gustavo Petro in this article they wrote about his UN speech. And the title is, this is how, Petro, this is how Petro's UN speech was written. And then there's the quote, uh, save it so no one can read it. And it shows Petro on the plane writing his speech on the way to the U.S. I mentioned earlier this quote, and again, this is a center-right Spanish establishment newspaper. So they're, when they say this, they're pretty critical. But they say in, his, in Petro's speech, it includes all of his ideological corpus, anti-capitalism, environmentalism, even the anti-Americanism, that many leftists of his generation were raised with. And then it says, it continues, without a doubt, the most powerful 
speech of the morning. I would say I agree, although I would also add the speech by Honduras's new leftist president, Tamara Castro. Her speech was, was also given the same day on September 20th and was very powerful. And then they say, I wouldn't go quite as far as this, but in, their, in this article in the Spanish newspaper El País, they say some people believe that no Latin American leader has given a message so powerful since the famous speech of Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan leader, in 2006, in which he says, yesterday the devil was here, it still smells like sulfur. And he was referring to George Bush. Ayer estuvo el diablo aquí. Now, that is such a classic, legendary speech when, when Hugo Chavez, the leader of the Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela, referred to George Bush as the devil. Brilliant speech. I would not put this speech by Petro in the same vein. It is a very powerful and poetic speech, but Chavez who is also a brilliant orator like Petro, his speech was, was much more, even more direct. I mean, Petro is, of course, criticizing the U.S., but he's being a little indirect about it. Chavez was just straight up, the U.S. is the devil. So I wouldn't necessarily compare them in the same way. But the fact that this, the mainstream Spanish language press is doing that, it's, it's noteworthy. So anyway, let me get back to uh, the, the final parts of his speech where Petro compares the U.S. to Nazi Germany. I guess this is in some ways similar to Hugo Chavez. Okay, he says here, and once again, he's referring to the global north when he says you all, when he says you. You observe that people suffer from hunger and thirst and immigrate in their millions toward the north, toward where there is water. Then you lock them up. You build walls. You use machine guns. You shoot at them. You expel them as if they were not human beings. So here, once again, he's not mentioning the U.S. directly, but he's, everyone knows he's referencing the U.S. and Europe with their brutal exploitation and dehumanization of refugees and migrants, killing them, shooting them. In fact, in this Spanish colonial enclave in North Africa, the, called Melilla, the Spanish and Moroccan security services just massacred dozens of refugees and, and migrants from Africa. So he's clearly not exaggerating here. The U.S. locks up these immigrants and refugees in for-profit internment camps and prisons. You build walls, referring to Donald Trump, and you use machine guns to shoot them, which we've seen in the U.S. and also Europe. And then listen to this. This is incredible. He's saying that the U.S. and Europe are similar to the Nazis. He says, you multiply by five the mentality of those who created the policies of gas chambers and concentration camps. He's obviously referring to Nazi Germany. He's saying you multiply the five by five the mentality of the Nazis. And then as if it wasn't clear enough, he says, he's talking to the global north. He says, you are reproducing 1933 on a planetary scale. What happened in 1933? He's obviously referencing the rise of Hitler, of Adolf Hitler. He says, you in the global north, he says the U.S. and Europe, 
you are producing, reproducing Nazism on a planetary scale. The U.S. and Europe are spreading Nazism around the world. And then he says, once again, this theme of his speech that he keeps coming back to is this idea of reason and irrationality. He refers to 1933 and the rise of Nazism and fascism. He refers to that as the era of the great victory of the assault on reason. So he's saying that Nazism and fascism was a victory of an attack, a war on reason. It was the victory of irrationality. So after comparing the U.S. and Europe to Nazi Germany, he says, Do you not see that the solution to the great exodus scrambling toward your countries in the north is returning to filling the rivers with water and filling the countryside with nutrients? So he's saying that if you don't want mass migration, this exodus, and by the way, in her speech, Samara Castro, the Honduran leader, I have a separate video about her speech. She also used that concept of the exodus of refugees and immigrants. And she pointed out the role of the U.S. in helping to create the refugee crisis by backing the coup in Honduras in 2009. So Petro is saying, if you want fewer refugees and migrants, then you need to create a livable environment in Latin America. You need to stop destroying the environment. The climate disaster fills us with viruses, which are swarming to lay waste to us. But you all, in the global north, he's saying, are doing business with medicines and even turning vaccines into merchandise. So he's criticizing big pharma corporations and the North American, uh, the North global north uh, governments that are trying to make money off of medicine and vaccines instead of giving them to the global south to help people. So as an example, in, in Latin America, the U.S. was trying to trap countries in debt in order to sell vaccines to them, whereas China and Russia were giving vaccines to countries across Latin America and the global south. So he's saying that the global north, these imperialist countries, are trying to make money off of these life-saving vaccines and life-saving medicines that Latin America and the global south needs and this refers to this idea in the global south, they talk about vaccine apartheid, where all these rich countries in the global north had vaccines and refused to give vaccines to the global south to save lives. And then he continues and he says, this is another very powerful poetic moment. You all insist that the market will save us from what the market itself has created. Humanity's Frankenstein is allowing the market and greed to act without any planning, giving up our brains and reason, making human rationality kneel before greed. So here he's clearly referencing capitalism. He says, the free market and capitalism has created these very problems and that you all in the global north insist that the free market is going to save us from what capitalism itself has created. He refers to capitalism as humanity's Frankenstein. And then he continues and he says, you can't have an empire on a dead planet. He calls out NATO and he uses the word empire. Listen how powerful this is. Why have war if what we need is to save the human species? What is the point of NATO and empires if what is coming is the end of intelligence? 
So here he's clearly referring to NATO as an imperial instrument, as a force of empire. He says, the climate disaster will kill hundreds of millions of people. So he's saying that you're so desperate to save your empire. NATO is so desperate to, to try to destroy Russia. And yet the, the climate disaster is going to destroy the planet. You're destroying humanity itself. Listen up. It is not the planet that produces this. It is capital that produces this. Here, he just openly gets into a socialist criticism of capitalism. Openly just saying socialism is needed to save humanity. He says, the cause of the climate disaster is capital. Capital. The logic of dedicating ourselves to consume more and more, to produce more and more, and so that a small few can earn more and more money, that is what produces the climate disaster. So he's saying that capitalism that leads to endless consumption is destroying the planet and leading to more and more inequality and creating climate change and the climate disaster. He says, they applied the logic of increasing accumulation of capital, i.e., he's talking about capitalism. They applied the logic of increasing accumulation of capital to the energy motors of coal and oil, and they unleashed a hurricane. The chemical change of the atmosphere keeps getting deeper and deadlier. So he's saying that capitalism combined with fossil fuels, it unleashed a hurricane that is destroying the planet, destroying the environment. He says, now in a parallel world, the increasing accumulation of capital is the increasing accumulation of death. He's saying capitalism leads to death. From the lands of jungle and beauty, there, he's saying Colombia, where they decided to turn a plant from the Amazon rainforest into an enemy to extradite and imprison those who grow it. I ask you all to stop the war and stop the climate disaster. And here is the final part of his speech, very powerful, very poetic. And he goes back to this recurring theme of the Amazon rainforest being the lungs of humanity. And now, even though he's speaking at the UN, he's speaking as if he were in his home in Colombia. He says, here in this Amazon rainforest, there is a failure of humanity from the stakes where they burn it. And he's, he's using the metaphor here of like the stakes where in the inquisition people were burned, right? From the stakes where they burn it from the poisoning, there is a wholesale civilizational failure of humanity behind the addiction to cocaine and drugs behind the addiction to oil and coal. There is the true addiction of this phase of human history, the addiction to irrational power, to profit and to money. This is the enormous deadly machinery that can ex extinguish humanity. I request of all of you as president of one of the most beautiful countries on earth, as one of the most blood stained and brutalized countries, that you end the war on drugs and end all wars and let our people live in peace. 
I call on all of Latin America with that purpose. I call on the voice of Latin America to unite to defeat the irrationality that is tormenting our body. He calls for Latin American unity here. The great dream of Simón Bolívar. And in his inauguration, by the way, in August, uh, Gustavo Petro ordered that the sword of Simón Bolívar be symbolically taken to the inauguration. So he's calling for Latin American unity, the dream of Simón Bolívar. It shows that he still has a lot of these ideals that he had when he was a socialist revolutionary in the M-19 armed movement. He continues and he says, I call on you to save the Amazon rainforest as a whole with resources that can be devoted around the world to life. If you don't have the capacity to finance the fund to revitalize the jungles, if it is more important to dedicate the money to weapons than to life, then reduce the external debt to free our own state budgets. And with those budgets, we can fulfill the duty of saving humanity and life on the planet. Here he says, look, in the global north, the imperialist countries, if you refuse to invest money to stop climate change, to save the environment, if, you, if you're more worried about spending money on weapons instead of saving money on saving lives, then at the very least, reduce our debt, pardon our debt, so we can spend money in our government budgets to fight climate change. Another very powerful message to the Imperial Corps, to the global North. And then he says here, we can do it ourselves if you all, those in the North, do not want to. Just exchange the debt for life. Just exchange the debt for nature. He's saying, fine, in the, global, the imperialist countries, if you don't want to fight climate change, if you don't want to try to save the world, this exchange our debt for life on the planet. Pardon our debt and we will save the planet. And in, the, in, this, in that comment, he says the north, el norte. He's referring to the global north, to the imperialist core. He says, I propose this to you all, and I call on Latin America to do this, to hold dialogue, to end war. And then here he criticizes the U.S. indirectly. He says, don't pressure us to pick a side in the fields of war. This is a time of peace. He's saying, stop pressuring us to join your new Cold War in Russia and to support Ukraine in this proxy war. He says, don't pressure us to pick a side. He says, we want peace. We don't want a proxy war. We want peace. He says, the Slavic peoples should speak to each other. He's saying Russia and Ukraine should have peace talks. The peoples of the world should speak to each other. War is just a trap that brings the end of times closer in a grand orgy of irrationality. He says war is a grand orgy of irrationality. Like I said, it's a very poetic speech. From Latin America, we call on Ukraine and Russia to make peace. Only in peace can we save life on our shared earth. And he's joining a call that was also made by the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, who has proposed a peace deal with the UN and with the support of the Catholic Church in India. So we see Latin America making calls for peace and ending the proxy war in Ukraine. And then, he, but he makes it clear at the end, in his final words, he says, but in order to have peace, 
we have to have justice. There is no peace without justice. Here's what he says. There is no total peace without social, social, economic, and environmental justice. We are at war as well with the planet. Without peace with the planet, there will be no peace between nations. Without justice, there is no social peace. And then he ends his speech saying, thank you for listening to me today. So this is one of the most powerful UN speeches I have ever seen. I mean, it really is up there with the historic speeches given by people like Hugo Chavez, Fidel Castro, uh, Samara Castro's speech she, she just gave of no relation to Fidel. It was an incredible speech. And I know that this was a very long episode. It was actually longer than the speech. But like I said, I wanted to provide historical context, political context. And I wanted to also read it with more passion, because like I said, not only is the UN translation to English not that very, not very good, but it also is just so boring. It's important to kind of listen to these words. And obviously you can't listen to them as a podcast. So I wanted to, you know, do this here. The link in the description below to this article has the, the translation of the speech. I personally did the translation. I think it's a better translation. And it well, I'm going to be continuous continuously reporting on Colombia. It's an exciting time. It's first ever left-wing president. And Gustavo Petro has shown that he still has that revolutionary spirit in him from the time he was a socialist guerrilla in the M19 movement. So it's a very interesting and exciting time for Colombia and all of Latin America. If you like the work that I do here, please consider going to patreon.com slash multipolarista. And I will be back very soon for more episodes analyzing other speeches given by leaders at the United Nations General Assembly. They will all be shorter than this episode. This is going to be the longest episode, but it was such a powerful and I would say a historic speech. It's going to go down in history and I wanted to give it the justice that it deserves.